2, beginning at verse 12. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with sorrow. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. After that, I will pour out my spirit upon everyone. Your, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will also pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me again in prayer. Loving God, we thank you for your words of comfort, encouragement, and challenge that come to us again and again through your holy scriptures. We pray that you would give us the wisdom and the the ability to hear anew your word to us today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, again, happy Advent, everyone. We're in week two of our Christmas preparations now, and I, I do hope you all are enjoying or at least making the most of it. In spite of all that's been wrong with 2020, Advent can still be a joyful time of year as we look forward to, to new birth, which means new beginnings and new opportunities for life and for love. We have another chance to turn away from the sadness and loss of the past and embrace a more hopeful future. That's part of this Advent journey that we're on. It's a great turning. Like how Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang about the world being turned upside down. Not in a bad way, but in a good one. As in a a turning away from injustice. A turning towards a more loving and peaceful world where the reign of God has come in full. That's also what the prophet Joel is proclaiming in this week's scripture text. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that turning this morning, as in turning things around, turning back, returning to the good and the right road. The Hebrew word for repentance in Joel 2.12 is teshuva, return to me with all your hearts, says our God. And there's meant to be a sense of joy in this turning. Even though we sometimes associate repentance with mourning or sadness, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. There can be joy in returning because it means we're going home. Turning towards the manger at Christmas involves being called back to the things that give us life. And this is good news. We're also celebrating communion today together, which in some traditions is called the Eucharist or the Great Thanksgiving. We're giving thanks that Jesus welcomes us back to this table, no matter how many times we may have wandered off in the wrong direction. And since we're going to be having a meal together, I think it's also a good time to have a little bit of uh, table talk as well, table conversation. Kitchen table talk is what I call it. You know how a lot of important conversations happen at the kitchen table? Maybe it's not that way in your, your family. I found it to be true in mine. In some ways, the kitchen is like the heart of the home. You know, and uh, we spend a lot of time there since food tends to bring us together. And so it becomes a place to have heart to heart chats. Even the occasional come to Jesus moment, which is also appropriate for communion. 
So today I'm going to try and be fairly direct about how I think God is calling our church to repent or to turn things around. I know that many of you all are participating in New Beginnings groups this season, uh, 27 of you to be exact. So some of what I'll say today should sound familiar. But what you might not know is that about a year ago, I had a similar heart-to-heart discussion with the session of the church about the, the one-on-one conversations that I, I had with most of you in 2019. I told the session uh, in December of 2019 that I, I'd run some numbers similar to the more recent assessment, and it looked to me at that point that Highlands Presbyterian Church had only about five years of ministry left, unless we made some significant changes. Five years left. That was, that was a year ago. So how many years would that leave us at this point, one year later? I find that doing the math makes it a little more real. (laughs) In 2021, coming in January, we'll begin to celebrate the 70th anniversary of Highlands Press. So four more years would mean closing the church after 74 years of ministry together. Again, unless we make some kind of major, bold change. Now, those of you in the New Beginnings groups are already praying about this, trying to discern a path forward, and you're doing great work. So you all should understand that this is not primarily a financial issue that I'm talking about. We actually have plenty of money and income and reserves at the moment in spite of the pandemic. Our church won't likely close because we run out of money. And our building is fine, too. It's beautiful. It's in good shape. We won't likely go under due to having a failing roof or a broken boiler or something like that. Rather, the reason we may only have four years left is simply that we are running out of people. I'm sure you've noticed this, that our members on the whole are getting older, they're dying, we haven't been bringing in new ones. This has only accelerated during the pandemic. So at this rate, in four years, we simply won't have enough people to continue our ministry in its current form. Perhaps we could hobble along for a while longer by cutting staff, reducing our programs even further. But at that point, it'll certainly be too late to turn things around in any meaningful way. We'll be running on fumes. And some of you, I know, feel that way already because burnout is also a sign of our challenges. And I know this is something you all have considered before with, with other pastors, which unfortunately makes the situation that much harder. It makes it even more difficult to turn around. For example, some people tend to respond to these facts with denial. As in, ah, whatever, they said that 20 years ago and we're still here. This pastor too shall pass. <laughs> Meanwhile, there are others who accept, may accept these difficult facts, but then they give up hope. Some feel like we've tried and failed so many times before that there's, there's no turning it around, so why bother? And then a third issue for our particular church is that we happen to be Presbyterian, which uh, means that as an institution, at least, we already have an, a tendency to act like the frozen chosen. Our natural preference may be to simply study the problem rather than actually trying to do something new or bold to turn things around. It's like that light bulb joke. How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Change? 
Who said anything about change? But unfortunately, this is no joke, because in an era of constant change, we either adapt or we die. If we do nothing, our congregation will close. That's the bottom line. Now, I know that some of you would like to believe that we are changing, or have been, because some good things are happening. You know, we've got, a, we've got several young families in worship again. We're planting trees and just ordered a new hymnal. And these are things that are worth celebrating. But since we're at the kitchen table this morning, I'm going to be direct and honest with you all. In the larger scheme of things, these small adjustments are a drop in the bucket. They're not going to turn things around. And sadly, I've noticed that in the meantime, even small changes to the way we do things, they too end up facing a fair amount of resistance. We have to be honest about that. Like using a different version of the Lord's Prayer, for instance. Or having to go online for church announcements instead of getting to read them in a printed bulletin. Or how about, how about the service time for Christmas Eve? You know, you know some, some churches change things like these every single year, and it's just not a big deal. Growing congregations tend to actually be excited about change because they know that's how growth happens. You don't grow without change. And meanwhile, we can know we're headed in the, dr- in the wrong direction when, when those seven last words of the church come to mind. But we've always done it that way. We've counts as one word. I know you all are aware of this. So I've noticed that when we, when we try to do things differently here and, here and there, you all don't necessarily complain, uh, to me at least, Instead, I find that some folks just quietly take a step back and don't participate quite as much because change is hard. And so then the church shrinks a little bit more and there's a downward spiral. You see that? I knew an elder once who called it circling the drain. I thought that was an apt image. Now, I don't mean to be a complete downer this morning. I'm simply trying to be direct and tell you the truth because I care about the future here. I want Highlands Presbyterian Church to live beyond the next four years, like I know most of you do. I want our congregation to grow and thrive, even if it means having some hard conversations, facing some significant loss. And the truth is that nothing I've mentioned so far about where we're at is unusual or even bad. Pretty much all congregations go through times like these. It's a natural part of the life cycle of a congregation towards the end. And yet what I hope you can hear this morning is that it doesn't have to be the end. The good news is that at this point at least, it's not too late We can still turn it around. We can repent, as is the biblical image. We can let go of the past. We can move into a new and different future if we're willing to face the facts and make some bold changes. So listen again to this passage from the prophet Joel as if it was written for us here today. God says, yet even now, even now, says the Lord, 
It's not too late. Return to Me with all your hearts, says our God. With fasting, with weeping, with sorrow. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for He is faithful, merciful, and compassionate, very patient, full of faithful love, and ready to forgive. And notice this line about tearing hearts in particular. I think it's a good one. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. It sounds painful, doesn't it? A broken heart. But you should know that in the Hebrew Bible, the heart doesn't actually refer to emotions as it does in our culture today. Ancient peoples didn't actually know what functions different bodily organs played, so they thought that the heart was where thinking and willpower originated rather than feelings. Instead, they imagined that the emotions came from the gut, your gut feeling. So when God says in this passage to, to rend or tear your hearts, it could also be translated or thought of as tear your minds. Or maybe we'd say, tear open your minds. Break your mental habits. Reform your will. Change your why. In the New Testament, the word for repentance is related to the mind also. The Greek word metanoia is about a change of mind. St. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, which is more than just changing an outward appearance. It's not just tearing our clothes or putting on new ones. In regard to our congregation, this might mean that surface changes aren't going to cut it. We could renovate this entire building, the basement especially, it still wouldn't make a lick of difference. Instead, God wants us to change the heart of our ministry. The core ways that we go about worship and teaching and preaching and public, work, public witness and evangelism. The heart of our why. Yes, notice that I just included the E word. I'll say it again, evangelism. Because one of the big ways that our church is being called to change is to turn away from focusing on our own members and to figure out how to bring the good news to our neighborhood instead. Jesus told us to go out and make disciples. That was the original mission of the church. So if we want our congregation to continue, we're going to have to figure out how to turn back to that primary mission. Not in order to grow our membership, but in order to bless our community. Not so that we can keep paying the bills to maintain this building or so that we can keep doing things the same way we've been doing them for the last 70 years, but instead so that God's kingdom would spread in this part of God's world and our neighbors would be blessed because of our work together. Make no mistake, it's a big shift, this turning. From membership to discipleship, from maintaining an institution to blessing the neighborhood, from growing the church to participating in God's larger mission. It requires an outward focus. It takes time and energy and attention and great faith. Instead of just hanging out amongst ourselves, content with our comfortable routines, it means we have to go out and get to know our neighbors 
in order to bless them. We have to go meet them where they're at. Do the things they like to do rather than the things that we like to do or the things we think they should like to do. Because ultimately, the mission can't be about us at all. It's about them. It's not just about loving each other as good as that may be. The fact is, in order to reach out, we might even have to do less for our own numbers. Can you imagine being so busy with outreach that, that we can care for each other less? Kind of a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? I mean, who wants to live primarily for others? Why should our church have to face the loss of change in order for other people to find new life? I mean, what about our members? What about us? It's almost like God is asking us to give up our very selves. Can you believe that? And yet, of course, I hope you realize that's the gospel we've been called to help, to help spread, to share. That's the paradox of our faith. Jesus said that it's those who lose their lives who find them. It's in giving that we receive. It's in dying that we too are born again to eternal life. And when our congregation is able to turn back to that good and faithful path, the path of Jesus, there is hope that it too shall be saved. After that, says the Lord through the prophet Joel, then I will pour out my Spirit on everyone. The Holy Spirit will be abundantly present again. There will be energy, creativity, hope. Just like there was in the good old days. Only it will look nothing like the good old days. This time, says the Lord, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The next generation will take up the call. Your old men will again dream dreams, dreams of hope, dreams of God's kingdom. But they won't be the ones in charge. Instead, your young men will cast new visions, develop new ways of doing ministry, new opportunities for sharing God's love. In those days, says the Lord, I'll even pour out My Spirit on people that we never thought would want to be a part of Highlands Presbyterian Church. Neighbors who we maybe think we don't have much in common with. And in this too, we shall be blessed. For that's God's kingdom and its righteousness. That's what radical kinship looks like. The blessing of all nations, all people, through inclusion and justice, rather than just us. As in those of us who are already at the table. Friends, I'll close out this kitchen table talk where I started out with the good news that this Advent season is an opportunity for new beginnings, for turning back to the same God who still wants to bless us with new life. As we look to welcome the Christ child again this year, we have yet another chance to return to the basics of our faith. How God came down to our neighborhood 
as a child to show us the way. And then Jesus later gave His life to save us in order to call us back. This then is also what we must do as we follow Him. May we take hold of this opportunity we have been given to embrace God's kingdom and its righteousness. To put it first while we still can. Before it's too late. So that our church also would take hold of new and everlasting life. Amen? Amen.